Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC News' senior congressional correspondent Mary Bruce. And Mary, you've been back a couple of weeks now, uh, and there's only been one story. And that story (laughs) continues. It is all about Brett Kavanaugh. We are in a weird kind of limbo here on this Wednesday on Capitol Hill and beyond. Everyone is waiting for the FBI report. Uh, Everyone is camped out uh, waiting to talk, as you are, Mary, to a a handful, a very small handful of senators. And it strikes me it's it's never been so difficult and taken so much time to count to two. All you need are two more senators to say they support Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. The whole process is over. But, man, this is a process. And, man, those key senators are really feeling the pressure, too. I mean, I just came up. I'm in our Senate cubby up here. And I just came up from the basement and was watching the horde of reporters, myself included, following Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski through the hallways as they try to get up uh, to the Senate chamber. It's a little nutty up here because the longer we wait, the more the pressure grows on these key few swing votes, right? That's Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Jeff Flake, a lot of people also eyeing Democrat Joe Manchin to see what he's going to do. And they've all made very clear, look, what comes next depends on what the FBI finds. Um, But we're all frantically trying to read any tea leaves here. You know, the poor Capitol Police are now pushing us back away from some of these key senators because they just, you know, feel they're being hounded so much. Capitol Police wants to keep them protected. Uh, And part of the reason is because it's not just us who are desperate to figure out what they're going to do next. It's the American public. And we now have protesters up here, you know, stalking the halls as well, wanting to get their message out to these key senators, too. And we're going to hear from a number of these key senators, all three of them, in fact. We're going to, we're going to play the latest uh, from them uh, as, as all of this counts down. We're also going to talk a little later in the program to Abby Huntsman, our new colleague, very exciting new co-host at The View, her, her, ta- her take on the politics. Uh, but I want to start with President Trump because uh, a lot of White House aides have been um, saying the president's been on his best behavior um, on, when it comes to handling the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. He uh, came out after uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony last week and said that she was very credible. Uh, he has mostly held back. Um, that's past tense, held back. Uh, take a listen to President Trump uh, Tuesday night in Mississippi. I had one beer. Well, do you think it was? Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. And you hear the crowd going wild as President Trump um, appeared to be openly mocking Christine Blasey Ford and some of the the self-described holes in her recollection. That kind of makes this a whole new political ballgame, Mary. Absolutely. And look, this is not making things any easier on those few key senators. In fact, listen to what Susan Collins said about uh, the president's comments when we caught up with her this morning. The president's comments were just plain wrong. And it's not just Susan Collins. I mean, Jeff Flake came out and said that he was appalled by the president's comments. But Rick, as you and I were discussing earlier, the president isn't really talking to these key senators. The president is talking to his base when he makes comments like this. And from what you heard in the the crowd at that rally, uh, they were eating it up. Yeah, I I think it's important to to segment the two different audiences here, because this is all in the context of 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 a nomination to the Supreme Court, the swing vote on the Supreme Court. The stakes are big enough just uh, on that on that account alone. And will Brett Kavanaugh be confirmed? That's what the FBI investigation is about. But the audience for that is unbelievably minuscule. We're talking about a universe of three Republican senators, uh, Jeff Flake, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. That's it. 
Uh, you can toss in a couple of Democrats, maybe Heidi Heitkamp, maybe Joe Manchin, maybe Joe Donnelly, who's gone back to the undecided column. But that's it. We've got, uh, we believe, 48 Republicans ready to confirm Kavanaugh at any moment. Mitch McConnell continues to say that there will be a vote this week. In fact, uh, he is calling out the other side, as he sees it, the Democrats as they see it, uh, to say that they are going to try to keep this open as long as possible. Take a listen. They'll read it as quickly as they can, and, uh, but that'll not be used as another reason for delay, I can tell you that. So McConnell, um, as we recall, guaranteed a vote last week as well. Uh, He was forced by that surprise announcement by Jeff Flake to postpone things a week. But as we wait for this report, uh, McConnell is continuing to apply the pressure on these couple of senators. And Mary, you've been up there. You've been catching Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Jeff Flake. And as, as many times as you can, what have you been struck by, by what, what, how they're handling this, what their expectations are with this FBI report and, and where their inclinations are? Well, first, I'm just struck by, by how much pressure is on them. Just, I mean, as we were talking about the the police presence even up here, I mean, you just can feel that this is reaching kind of a boiling point. Everyone's so desperate to figure out what these guys are going to do. Um, and they, I think, are very genuine in saying that they want to see what the FBI is going to find. But then you do also have, you know, Jeff Flake today coming out and saying that, you know, even if no votes are changed by what the FBI finds, he thinks it was important to have this pause, to have the FBI sort of do this due diligence here so that everyone, all the senators, have confidence when they do cast their vote. And that's it's telling, of course, because Jeff Flake has already you know, announced previous uh, to this uh, FBI investigation, prior to the investigation, that he was going to support Judge Kavanaugh. So there is a sense that so many people up here you know, have all made up their minds, and the pressure then is just tremendous, tremendous on these few key senators. The other thing that really strikes me when talking to folks in the hallway and members of the Judici- Judiciary Committee is just how extremely political it has become. The longer we wait, the more the two sides, the two parties seem to, you know, go to their own corners. And the more this really becomes about, you know, Republicans versus Democrats and less about Judge Kavanaugh and getting to the bottom of the truth here. Um, Republicans, as we've seen, are, are pretty intent on moving this along. Mitch McConnell's made clear they are having that vote. Enough is enough. Whereas you're already hearing from Democrats, you know, crying that they're going to need more time, uh, saying that, that, that the timing is being rushed, you know, give people time to absorb and digest uh, whatever is, is the FBI report is, what, what their findings actually are. And it's just you can almost predict it. You could almost predict at the beginning of this week how the end of this week was going to turn out. And right now we're in the middle of that. And everyone is just, you know, waiting with bated breath know, to see what want, the FBI finds. We want answers. We want answers. But I am struck, Mary, by how the politics of the Kavanaugh nomination have flipped and flipped again and then flipped again. I think when it began, it, it seemed like a rallying cry for Republicans, for conservatives. They would finally appear, it would, it would appear to get their conservative governing majority on the Supreme Court take over that swing seat, uh, have a, an opportunity to enact a, a range of potential rulings over the course of decades, delivering on a big promise. Um, and then we saw, we saw Kavanaugh as a kind of non-controversial pick for a while. We saw Democrats begin to be, get some traction around their argument. It didn't really uh, take hold at the hearings. Uh, and then Christine Blasey Ford comes out, other women come out, and it seemed like the Democrats were utterly uh, utterly on the offense and Republicans are back on defense, that Democrats had their voice again. And now, as, we, as this vote draws clo- close, you hear Republicans literally making it a rallying cry including mm-hmm. by President Trump. And and it's not just on the issue of Brett Kavanaugh, because again, if it was about Kavanaugh, this would be about 
getting Collins, Murkowski, and Flake to say yes. This is about something bigger. And the way the president uh, cast this, the way the president is also talking about this is a very dangerous time for young men in this country. He is starting a political gender war, and he is using Brett Kavanaugh to try to play that out. He sees the way that Democrats are playing to women. He is trying to motivate his base, mainly of men, many of the men, uh, to, to realize the stakes in this election. Yeah. And this has all really become, you know, or increasingly seems to be becoming about one thing. And that's the midterms. Right. Democrats know that every time the president comes out and, and, and mocks Christine Blasey Ford, that that will drive more Democratic and Democratic women probably to vote. Republicans know their base as well. And they're playing to that. I mean, both sides, you know, understand are keenly aware of the midterm cloud hanging above their head. Uh, what's also interesting is, you know, you've seen in the last 24 hours, really, as Democrats step up their attacks on Kavanaugh's uh, credibility. They question his drinking. Uh, you see Republicans then stepping up efforts to challenge Christine Blasey Ford's credibility by kind of taking on some of her sworn testimony as well. It's getting nasty. It's getting pretty ugly on both sides. Um, and, you know, where this all ends up, who knows? But but it is certain that it is likely going to have an impact on the midterms no matter what. And, and it is striking that that so much of this is going to come down to a senator who is not on the ballot this fall. And in fact, yeah. we should mention Collins and Murkowski are not for up for re-election either. Jeff Flake's retiring. Yeah, he's got nothing. Not, not He has, you know, no really, you know, he's, he's out of the game. He's out of the game. He's out of the game. And that, you know, he then is unencumbered in many ways. Uh, and it is why he's felt so free to take on the president, to challenge the president. Does that mean that he's going to, you know, deliver a, a, a massive parting shot to the president and the rest of his party by voting no? It's really hard to tell right and, now. And that's just it, is that he's not going quietly. He, no. He is uh, giving a number of speeches, done a number of media appearances. Uh, he was on 60 Minutes. He was up in New Hampshire, of all places, earlier this week. And, and to me, just to hear him play this out publicly, he's talked about uh, how he was moved by the interaction he had with some protesters in the hallway. He talked about how John McCain, the late John McCain's voice is in his head, this, the, the, the late senior senator from his home state of Arizona, uh, and talked about the institution. And, and, and Flake is, sounded almost heartbroken about this process. And the fact that he felt like he was able to break through the partisanship uh, to, to to spark this FBI investigation, to create this extra room, even after saying that he was ready to support uh, the nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. He's looking, it would appear, to get to yes. And yet, and yet, Mary, he has dropped some really tantalizing hints about how his mind could yet be made up. Take a listen to what he said about Brett Kavanaugh uh, at the Atlantic Festival uh, earlier this week. The interaction with the members was sharp and partisan, and that concerns me. And I tell myself, you give a little leeway because of what he's been through. But on the other hand, we can't have this on the court. We, we simply can't. We can't have this on the court. Talking about the way that uh, Judge Kavanaugh went after uh, Democrats on the committee and, and chalked this up to a, a partisan um, witch hunt, my word, President Trump's word, not, not, not Kavanaugh's, but chalked this up to partisanship out of members on the committee. That's a stark line that Jeff Lake is drawing to say you can't, you simply can't have that on the court. But the question is whether he will vote based on that. Right. Um, and what has been very clear, as you point out, over the last you know weeks and days is how 
tortured Jeff Flake has been by this decision. I mean, it has been fascinating to watch even just his body language as he discusses this issue, as he sat through uh, that hearing and then the, the meeting the following morning when this compromise was developed. I mean, he is really taking this issue to heart, it seems. At times he's looked downright pained by this, you know, having to make this decision. And you see him trying, you know, to, to rise above the political fray here. Uh, he's made that very clear in his public statements, trying to, you know, make sure that that they have every you know piece of information available in making this decision. I mean, remember, what led to this FBI investigation is something we almost never see up here, bipartisanship. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Flake reaching out to his Democratic friend Chris Coons to, to come up with a way to, to force this week-long delay to, to, to spark this investigation. And Jeff Flake is clearly you know trying to, to send a broader message to his party, to his country. Uh, and it, it will be interesting to see where he falls at, at the end of this. Yeah, and and of course the president's comments in that context not helpful. Um, no. That's not the way to get Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Jeff Flake comfortable with this nomination to to go in there and 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 seem to openly mock Christine Blasey Ford. And uh, it also puts the president's own allies on the hill in a in a jam. It always does. Um, I was just down in the basement talking with uh, Republican Senator Kennedy, who's also on the Judiciary Committee, and you know he asked about what the president said at the rally. He said, oh, well, I'm not going to comment on what the president says. And then he went on to to comment length, you know, at length about the importance of listening to uh, people who have been victims of sexual assault, to listen to accusers who come forward. You know, it, it, it really puts Republicans in a jam. And then we see on the other side of that, you know, Lindsey Graham, uh, one of the president's closest allies these days, was out uh, delivering public remarks earlier this morning and was booed by the crowd when he came to the president's defense on a lot of these issues and came to the president's defense uh, on those remarks. Yeah, it's making a lot of Republicans squirm on the eve of this this report and this potential vote. Uh, and it has consumed just an enormous amount of time and political energy at a time where there's Democrats and Republicans who'd both rather be talking about other things five weeks before the election, Mary. As you <laughs> oh, know, yes. This is not what it really anyone thought they'd be running on, but it's been forced onto them. And I think you're right. It has uh, forced people into partisan corners. Absolutely. And it, you know, the, the clock is ticking and you nailed it when you say they don't want to be talking about this. I mean, yes, they, they think that, that the Supreme Court and Kavanaugh's nomination is certainly something that uh, is an important factor when people head to the polls in the midterms. But is this the only factor? Absolutely not. And there's certainly a, a lengthy list of other issues that Republicans and, and Democrats would, would rather be hammering away at right now. All right. Joining us now here on Powerhouse Politics, a uh, very special guest. Welcome to the ABC News family, to Abby Huntsman, a new co-host at The View. Abby, great to have you. It is great to be Good to be back, back at ABC. Exactly. Back. <laughs> I'm back. We remember when you were... <laughs> on the other side of the camera, though. <laughs> on the other side of the camera here in Washington. <laughs> and now you're big time and we love oh, it. We love hardly. seeing you. We love seeing you. you Tangling with the uh, with the ladies of the view. If uh, only there day. was more to talk about right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Mary, Mary Bruce and I were saying that there's really only been one story for the last couple of weeks, and 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 it's gotten more lively as the days have gone on. Mm-hmm. But first, I, I we played a few moments ago uh, what President Trump uh, did last night at his rally in, in Mississippi, mm-hmm. where he. Um, it went at some length about the apparent holes in Christine Blasey Ford's recollection. Did you view that as mocking a victim of sexual violence, an alleged victim of sexual violence? What was your read on how President Trump handled it just last night? Yeah, I mean, and that's what he does, right? He He's known to bully people. He mocks people. And, of course, watching that as a woman, it's like, why? Why, why do we have to do this? This does not help Anybody, I know his base gets wild up. And, and I was reading recent polling this morning, 
And he knows who he's talking to. He knows who the crowd is. And I think I read 54 percent of Republicans, even if it comes out that that Judge Kavanaugh is guilty, they still are going to vote in his favor. And so for him, this is his strategy. He feels very much in his comfort zone in those moments. But I, I don't think that that gets us anywhere as a country. It really frustrates me because what he's doing is putting Republican senators and the people that are around him and work for him, they, he puts them in a bad position because then they have to go out and have to respond to that. And, you know, you don't want to be in a place where you can't defend the person uh, that you're essentially working for. What does it say to you? And a number of senators have said they're uncomfortable with that, as a matter of fact. But, but what does it say to you about the president's mindset going into 2018 that he's casting it in this way? It strikes me that he – it seems like the, the battle over Kavanaugh is secondary mm-hmm. to the political battle – that he's trying to have. And a lot of that seems to be riling up a base and also making this about gender. Uh, This was a a very explicit message he's had to men, saying this is a dangerous time for men in this Mm -hmm, country, mm -hmm. and then saying what he said about Dr. Ford. Yeah, he sort of flipped the switch. I think you make a great point. This... The Kavanaugh thing has dominated the news cycle, but really it's, it's, I think, represents a much bigger picture of what we're going to see play out uh, in the midterms. And then I think in 2020, and the the big thing, I think, for Trump is this is he's going to double down. He is going this is going to be him um, between now and 2020. And he's going to speak to that base. And this is why I tell everyone that asks me, what do you think will happen in 2020? I think he could very well win again because he excites these people and they get out to vote. And he has done nothing um He's done nothing to push them away since he's been in office. If anything, he's continued to say the things that they get them excited. And as someone, you know, that I, I find myself as a moderate. And so it's it leaves a lot of people without a home, without any place to go, because you see that and you're like, that doesn't represent me. Um, but it represents enough people and they're angry and they, they like what he's – the most effective thing that he says on the campaign trail is, you are now the elite because I won and I'm the elite and I represent you. He's finally given them that voice. He is. He makes them feel like they are important again and they matter and that they can actually win at the polls. So I think they are going to stay with him no matter what he does. But I really worry what this does bigger picture to our society about how we talk about sexual assault because it's very serious. And this goes on. I mean, I I have experienced it with people in my own family and I, I know how um, – how how sad it is and how hard it is for women to speak out. And so the president could lead on this, and I think he could help us move forward. But if anything, I think he's just causing people to, to cling to their sides even more um, and say this is actually um, a war against men, not women. That I mean, I'm sorry, but sure, men can be falsely accused, and, and we should always go with the facts first. But the reality is uh, women have been dealing with this for years and years, and for the first time I think they're feeling like they can, they can speak out, and, and we should all celebrate that. Is there a concern that, that the president's comments really backfire? I mean, you mentioned, you know, moderates looking for a home here. When the president comes out and makes comments like this, does that just drive them further and further away if they think that the president's you know, trying to drive a wedge between men and women, especially when you're talking about such a sensitive, complex issue? Mm-hmm. It really depends on if they have somewhere else to go, in my opinion. If, if Democrats can put someone forward that speaks to them, that isn't um, so extreme on their end, then then, yeah, I think that Democrats could be successful. But but what I feel could happen is you get two extremes in the end. And then people are like, well, you know what? My life's pretty good. Uh, I have more in my wallet. I feel like I've got a, a decent job. I don't like everything that he's saying. I don't agree with everything he's saying. I hate his tweets. But you know what? 
I'm, I don't want to vote for someone who has a completely different economic message that I don't agree with. So I think people are going to struggle with that a little bit. Um, and it's really going to be about who can energize uh, their bases more. The, uh, in terms of people being in the middle like myself, um, I really think either they'll just sit out and not vote this time um, or they will plug their nose and have to vote for someone they're not excited about. And do you, I mean, you've spent a lot of time out with, with Trump supporters. Rick and I, we've been at, at Trump rallies. Mm-hmm. Do you, you, know, you, you hear the big cheers when he delivers lines like this. But do you really think Trump supporters, you know, what do you think they really make of comments like this? Are, they're not all embracing it, certainly. I think that's right. I think a lot of them actually cringe. Yeah. But what they get excited about is um, he's fighting for them. You know, they they compartmentalize. They can put it. I mean, when I talk to voters, as you guys do, too, I've gone around to different diners over the past two years and. And the majority of them tell me, you know what? Yeah, I wish he didn't tweet. I hate that. Every once in a while, you get someone who's like, oh, I love everything he does. It's exactly why I voted for him. But for the most part, they don't like it. And they and they, they like that he stands up to the media. I think they feel like the media has got a liberal bias and they don't speak for them. But I think you're right. There are a lot of them that can compartmentalize and say, you know what? I would rather him not mock Dr. Ford, especially the women out there. But you know what? I think he also is saying something else that, that makes a lot of sense, too. Um, I wish he didn't do it. I mean, I think he's making it difficult for people in his own family. I mean, there's a reason maybe we don't hear from Ivanka Moore and others because, you know, I'm sure she doesn't agree with much of what is said. And so you go out there and do interviews and it's like she can't disagree with her boss, with her dad. Um, So being on the other side, being a daughter of, I think I understand where some of the, the family members and even people in the White House are coming from. It's like, you know, he puts them in a really, really tricky situation. And let's talk politics about uh, around it for a moment, because this is being done in the context of uh, of a midterm that's now less than five weeks away. Uh, we know what the forecasts say about the House. Um, we know that the Senate may hang in the balance as well. How, in your view, can or should Republican House and Senate candidates handle this? Uh, they know their districts. They know their voters. Mm-hmm. They know that Trump is extraordinarily popular in some pockets of the country and extraordinarily unpopular in others. And you have the president with this messaging now going out a couple of times a week, uh, making this a big old gender fight right. that, uh, that that may make them squirm. Right. I, I think you you hit it perfectly. It's, it really depends on where you are. It depends on where you're running for office. I look at a Joe Manchin who, poor guy, I mean, you're in West Virginia as a Democrat who won, uh, who Trump won hands down. And someone like Judge Kavanaugh is the majority of the people still want him um, on the Supreme Court. So what do you do if you're a Democrat in one of those states? You know, so that's just one example. But it all depends on who you're representing. And I think if you want to be successful, you've got to simply focus on who the people are that you represent. And that creates a bigger problem. Why we hate politics today is because everyone's focused on how they can win and how they can get through the next race. And no one's thinking bigger picture. What am I doing that I actually believe in? What do I what am I doing that's actually right? It's how can I win and how can I get enough people out to vote for me? And so it's sort of this endless cycle. Um, But what is interesting is Republicans that have been more successful, it seems, have campaigned a lot closer to Trump. You know, they've had more of his style. Um, even Democrats in like uh, Indiana, I believe, are are running somewhat along the line of Trump. So it's going to be a fascinating uh, midterm. I think what we'll see happen is, you know, Senate probably stays with Republicans because they're not enough Republicans up for reelection. And the House will maybe go blue, which great. Nothing will get done. <laughs> <laughs> And what about you? Know, we hear so much about the blue wave, or the blue wave, the the, the the number of women who are running, especially the pink wave. Excuse me. Um, what does it mean when you have an issue of that's so polarized, and you know this huge sort of gender war going on? 
uh, right as you're heading into the midterms, mm-hmm. given especially, I think, uh, how difficult some of the president's comments make it for, for Republican women. Yeah. I mean, especially last night when he's mocking Dr. Ford. I think that's really tough. Um, if you're a woman Republican and you're running, I think you, you try and avoid it at all costs because there's nothing you can say um, that that helps you. Although there are a lot of men out there that I think like Trump's message. I mean, I hear it from a lot of people of like, well, you know, men are the ones being accused. And I, I think people are, are too far apart on this issue right now. And um, they feel like they're being targeted. So, you know, Trump... He's his own person, and I don't think he realizes the difficult position he puts a lot of people in. Um, so if you're a woman Republican, I don't know what to tell you because it's it's a tough thing. I think you've got to speak uh, your truth and, and speak you know for what you believe in. And if you're not successful, then at least you know you, you were doing what you felt was right. Abby, I want to ask you about Jeff Flake because he's mm-hmm. been just such a fascinating person to watch over the last week in particular, but even going back a while. Uh, with the speeches he's given, decrying the state of our politics, uh, wasn't lost on anyone that he decided to go off to New Hampshire earlier this week. Uh, and and uh, he seems to be openly debating where he is on this because he's so uncomfortable with how the president's conducted himself. He, he seems uh, compelled by a lot of what Christine Blasey Ford has said, but also compelled by Kavanaugh's defense. He believes maybe Kavanaugh went too far in, in aggressively attacking. My question is, wherever Flake lands, is there a lane for the Jeff Flake type Republican in today's mm-hmm. party. I, I'd actually, I, you had a lot of experience with your dad's um, with your dad's campaign. It seems like uh, uh, Flake to me is in in the kind of huntsman vein mm-hmm. of, uh, of of going of how, against the grain. Yeah, I mean, tell me tell me if I'm going too far on this, but I, I I see a lot of what 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 John Huntsman tried to do in in what Jeff Flake is trying to do now. Is there room for that? Now, is there room for President Trump to get a primary challenger from someone like Jeff Flake who says, look, this is just wrong. This is broken. Yes, I'm a conservative, but not this way. Mm-hmm. You know what? I I wish that there was. I think there are a lot of people that would love for that type of person to run and actually win. But I just – and you guys know this. I know how the primary system works. And right. no one can out-bully Trump. I mean look at how many Republicans he went up against in 2016, including, you know, Jeb Bush and others who had, you know, the the RNC behind them, all the money in the world um, for ads and you name it. And he wiped them all out of the water. So I, I'd like to say, you know, Jeff Flake probably is just thinking about it. And when you're in that moment, people around you are telling you, you got to do it. You got to do it. You can you know, I think there's a real um, there's a real moment right now for something like that. People are attracted to what you're saying, and there's a space for it. But I just think in the times we're in, Trump's base is still too riled up, uh, and they're too energized for someone to really make a headwind. Uh, but look, politics is, is crazy, unpredictable. Maybe something crazy will happen. But if I had to guess today, I would say, you know what? If you're John Kasich, if you're Jeff Flake, uh, good luck. Because <laughs> it's, <a> it's a tough environment right now. One last quick question for you. What's your prediction? Kavanaugh, yes or no? You think he's going to get through? Ooh. It changes by the hour, doesn't it? It really, it really uh, does. Because <laughs> like yesterday, I would have said, or two days ago, I would have said no. And today, just looking at the polls and looking at like Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota and Manchin in West Virginia, um, if you're able to get some Democrats, I would say he gets through unless the FBI comes up with something that's pretty big. 
Abby Huntsman, again, welcome back to the family at ABC. We love seeing you thanks, over at The View. Abby, thanks, and you're welcome back anytime. We'll have you back soon. Thank you. I can't wait. Good to talk to you guys. All right. Thank you. And Mary, before we go today, I, I want to get back to something from a couple of days ago. It was a, a rather stunning, startling, extraordinary moment involving the president at uh, – at a lengthy news conference that he was holding outside. He was there to talk about the new trade agreement. Uh, And of course, reporters had a lot of questions on their mind. Uh, This involved our colleague here at ABC News. So it cuts a little bit close to home, but that's one reason I wanted to talk about a little bit before we went today. Um, Cecilia Vega, uh, our our very talented White House correspondent, uh, called on uh, in the the White House Rose Garden. She's shocked that I picked her. It's like in a state of shock. I'm not thinking, Mr. That's President. That's okay. I know you're not thinking. You never do. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Wow. I, you know, I, Mary, I had a lot of complex thoughts when I saw this transpire. Um, and uh, first and foremost, uh, I've seldom been prouder of a colleague than I was of Cecilia and the way that she, that she stood up. Um, but I just found it a very sad statement on... Uh, the state of um, mm-hmm. the presidency at this moment, the state of uh, relationship with the press at this moment, uh, that that this comment, um, uh, just a totally uncalled for insult, you're not thinking, you never do, uh, from the president aimed at our, our White House correspondent and colleague, Cecilia. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, Cecilia handled it with a, a level of grace and poise that uh, is just astounding. And I think she deserves a tremendous amount of credit for her response to this. Uh, on the bigger point here. I mean, look, we know that President Trump likes to go after the press. What is different about moments like this is that is how personal it is. He's not railing against media coverage at large. He's going after individual reporters with a level of, of you know, nasty animosity that is, is really unseen before. And you just have to kind of take a moment and think that this is what freedom of the press looks like today in 2018, when you go to a presidential press conference and, you know, try to fulfill what is not just our jobs, but our, you know, your constitutional right to, to, to ask the president questions and to to push him and to try and get at, you know, what he stands for and what his administration is working on and where he stands. And that is just, I think, uh, shocking and astounding that, that, that this is what that discourse has, has come to. Yeah. And we, you know, we've talked about it before. This is this is a tough time for for journalism. And uh, the president um, has used it as part of his political toolkit to call out journalists. I mean, you yeah. can go back to uh, every one of his political rallies when he calls out the fake news and points at them and starts the jeers and the cheers and uh, and, and gets people into their corners on this by, by decrying things as fake news. That's uh, something that he does. It's just part of, of who he is as a political animal. Uh, yet when it becomes personal like this, it, it does it does strike, I think, differently. And uh, and again, uh, we've got a job to do and we'll continue to do it. And I know Cecilia will as well and uh, be asking the questions. The president, I think, to his credit, came back later in the news conference to call on her and ask a question yep. about about Judge Kavanaugh. And um, I think that that kind of access, that kind of openness is, is, is terrific. But um, we still haven't really heard a, an explanation for this uh, just uh, insult uh, from, the, from the president himself. No, we haven't heard a response from the White House to this, and I have a feeling that might be something that Cecilia Vega might be asking about <laughs> at another press conference very soon. 
Let's hope so. All right. Our thanks to Mary Bruce. Uh, Thank you. Filling in very ably for the missing John Carl. Where's John? Ooh, Where's John? We'll have wine fu- somewhere in Italy, I think. Yes, he's enjoying, he's enjoying it all. He'll be back soon, and we'll be back soon as well. Our thanks to the whole Powerhouse Politics team, Angie Yak, Avery Miller, and the man behind the controls, Trevor Hastings. I'm Rick Klein. Catch us next time here on Powerhouse Politics.